The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. James chapter 1, looking at verses 19 to 27, really this passage has a number of themes of the book that we're going to see unfold throughout the book. It's almost like the overture of a musical that you pick up the songs of the musical beforehand, and that's what we're getting here. So we're going to see a repetition of a lot of these themes, but hear God's word, James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Real religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. One of the joys of spring every year is watching the daffodils and tulips bloom, usually one of the first signs of spring. One of my sisters is a daffodil expert, and typically in the fall, she brings a little brown bag of daffodil bulbs of some new variety to us, and we plant them. We find some place to plant them, and we're always curious what what this new variety is going to look like reminds me of what James is saying here about the Word of God, that you plant these dead-looking bulbs, and then in the spring they burst forth into life. They have power, the implanted power of a seed or a bulb. The theme in this passage of James, which is closely linked to the theme of the book as a whole, is that God's Word, as it is planted in us, and as we humbly receive it and believe it and obey it, that word powerfully works in our lives, and it produces fruit. It transforms us from the inside out. In other words, we see the power of God's word planted in us. Verse 21 is the the theme of that. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That summarizes this passage. And the word save there in its fullest sense. Salvation, including all of its outworkings in the believer's life. We've been saved by God's grace through faith, but the Bible also speaks of us as being, present tense, saved, as God sanctifies us and keeps us to the end. And finally, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be finally saved completely. We'll be glorified. All three verb tenses of the word saved are used. And here is this present tense, which we don't see that often. It's talking about really the outworking of salvation. This evening, we want to consider the transforming word of God. And our first point is our need to continue to meekly, to humbly accept the word planted in us. Our need to continue to meekly accept the word planted in us. Really, verses 21 through 25 are all about, this middle part of our text is all about the word of God, this basic principle to receive God's word, to keep receiving it as a believer, to let it have its intended work in our hearts and lives. And that familiar passage in verses 22 to 25, not to be a mere hearer of the word, a mere listener, to be essentially self-deceived, to be not hearing God's word. You must be a doer You must apply God's word. You must put it into practice. You must let it challenge our preconceived ideas and selfish agenda and our sinful desires. And James uses this very familiar analogy of a mirror, verses 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. In the Lewis and Clark expedition, they brought trade goods with them to trade with the Native Americans, with the Indians along the way. And when they finally got to the Rocky Mountains and made contact with the Shoshone tribe, a very important tribe, the tribe that Sacagawea was from, And they were relying on trading with them to get over the Bitterroots Mountains, which is what they ultimately did. They brought out their trade goods when they finally made contact with them. And one of the items that fascinated the Indians was these little mirrors they brought along. The Indians called them solid water. And they just were delighted in these and looked at them and just could not believe what they were. They just were, they thought they were magical Well, modern mirrors are uh, a modern phenomenon. The mirror that James speaks of in the ancient world wouldn't have been like your bathroom mirror that you can see every little thing that's wrong, but they were more like maybe a polished silver tray. You get some idea of what you look like, but still something that you can look in, and typically the purpose of mirrors, even in the ancient world, was to check out your appearance. Make sure your hair was fixed, I'm sure, or, you know, if something's wrong that you can take care of it. I'm guessing that most of you might have looked in the mirror before you left the house this evening just to make sure things weren't looking too badly. And it's a negative analogy that James uses here. If you look 
and you see something that needs straightening or if your hair needs combed, what's the point of looking in the mirror if you go away and don't take care of it? Don't just be a looker in the mirror, but be a doer. Fix whatever is wrong. That's the point. That's the analogy James has here. It's a pretty obvious analogy. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. He's not saying that salvation is by our works. We're going to see that throughout the book of James. James would believe in salvation by grace through faith. But he's talking about the fruit of that saving faith has to come up in our lives. And so in the spiritual realm, if you listen and don't put into practice the word of God, you're really, to some extent, deceiving yourself whether the actual doing has to do with believing the word of God, trusting the Lord, loving God with all your heart, or practically obeying in some specific area of God's commandments. Whatever the word of God is speaking to, we must be a doer. We must receive it with meekness, verse 21. James is exhorting these believers to keep growing spiritually by cultivating a heart that is open and receptive to God's word, that they meekly receive the word of God. That's speaking about a sense of humility before God, to have an awareness of our need, our sin constantly. Yes, we are saved. We are new creations in Christ, but we are dependent on the Lord every day for our walk with him. And and we constantly need God's word to instruct us and to put the guardrails on our lives and to correct us and to train us in righteousness that we might seek God's glory by seeking to please him, by living more and more according to his word. It's like a mirror. To put it in other words, We must never think that we have so arrived spiritually that now we can just coast. It intrigued me last week when Pastor York, in his sermon on the first part of James 1, mentioned a well-respected spiritual leader who is now in glory, who came near the end of his life, as Tucker talked about it, to the view that he had achieved sinless perfection. I had never known that. I respected this man. And I went home last week thinking about that and thinking, how could somebody think that? I certainly could never think that. I'm not talking about my, you know, that I'm above wrong theology, but just because I'm very much aware of my sinfulness and how I can be impatient about something or how I can be discontent about something and these kinds of things just... You know, not red-letter sin, but certainly sin is there. But I thought about that and how that view of anyone thinking they've arrived at spiritual perfection, sinless perfection, how deadly that would be to continued spiritual growth and to actively depending on God. I don't know if this is a legendary story, but speaking about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It was said that he was speaking at one point to someone who claimed to have achieved sinless perfection. And in the course of the conversation, it said, I don't know if this is true or legendary, it said that Spurgeon leaned forward and stepped heavily on the man's foot. And Spurgeon was a heavyset man. And apparently he determined that after that, the man wasn't sinlessly perfect. I don't know if that's true or not. I, of course, I don't know 
what sinless perfection meant in that particular leader's life who claimed that. But the point of James here is that in this life, on this side of glory, God's word is going to continuously be shining on areas of remaining sin. And you and I are called to meekly receive that word and do it. That's the first point. That's the overarching point. Now, point number two, what does it mean to continue to meekly receive God's word? I have five elements here. I'll be brief on them. Five elements to receiving God's word. The first is listen to the word. In itself, that's not enough. James says, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. The first is to listen, to hear. That's the starting point. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's very basic here. We need to be exposed to God's word. We need to listen. We need to hear it preached and taught, and we need to read it privately and corporately and in small groups and in every form we can get it. Now with the Internet and maybe with your phone, you can listen to sermons online or download them. What a wonderful gift that is. But I would just say, even as you think about this first point, remember there is a basic spiritual aversion to this discipline of hearing God's word. It's easier to read the newspaper than read God's word. It's easier to watch TV. It's easier to get on social media, all these things. There's an aversion to seriously exposing our our lives to God's word. Don't be surprised by that. So even in carrying out this first step to seriously hear God's word takes effort and makes us cry out to the Lord to help us to do that. So first of all, listen. Number two, let the word of God stand in judgment on us. Let the word of God stand in judgment on our attitudes, our actions, our words. That's the sense that I put to this phrase in verse 21 that's so powerful. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. We know Moses was meek. We know Jesus Christ was meek. There's a place in 2 Corinthians that Paul writes to the Corinthians and it says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I exhort you. Think of what that means. Jesus, who was so powerful and divine and sovereign, yet he was meek and gentle in dealing with sinners. Really, I would think that receiving the word of God with meekness is the opposite of justifying ourselves, of rationalizing away its application. Instead, receiving with meekness means we want to see where it speaks to us. We're meek, we're humble, we're open. Every parent knows something about this when trying to correct a child. You know when you correct your child, does he or she always say, thank you, mom, I wanted to know that. That's good to know. I will put that into practice. No, there's usually a little bit of resistance, right? Children, try to be more meek and humble and receive your parents' correction. Well, aren't we like stubborn children many times with our father? He's speaking to us through his word, and we're resistant. We're like Teflon. It doesn't get through. When we are walking in active trust in Jesus Christ and glorying in the cross, though it is hard and painful, to see our areas of remaining sin, still 
It is what we truly want. I hope that that's the case for us. We know that it's the way ahead. We know that it would please God that we would humbly confess and repent and turn from our daily sins and know that our righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone and and thank the Lord and trust him that he is working in our lives to make us like Jesus Christ. And so this second point is let the word of God stand in judgment on us. Third sub-point, third element. Let the word stand as true against all lies. Let the word stand as true against all lies that would deceive us. Notice verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he adds this phrase, deceiving yourselves. Why does he add that? Because he knows that sin is deceptive. He knows that it's easy to be self-deceived. It's no, he knows that it's easy that we're deceived about our sin. And I want to remind us the, the, the speaking of the word of God as a whole not only is a matter of the law and the commands of God, it's also about the promises of God, the truth of God revealed in Scripture about who God is, about who Jesus Christ is, about all the promises of God to believers which are yes and amen in Christ. The word of God is very broad in all of its applications And this is a very important aspect of the power of God's word planted in us. All of this, uh, every aspect of God's word is true, and we constantly face the lies of this world and lies that arise from our own hearts. We've got the world and the flesh and the devil to contend with. They're full of lies. We may be struggling with questions about God and his character and who God is. Does God really care about my life? Does he have a purpose in this? We looked this morning, Dr. Rogers spoke about prayer and how much more God answers prayer, but not always according to what we think it's going to be. We wonder, is God at work? Will he keep me? Does he promise to help me in the struggle I'm going through? And against that, there are these lies that would deceive us. And they're constantly around us in the world and they're springing up from within us. Lies that usually cluster around the idea that what ultimately satisfies me are the things of this world, are things that are less than God himself. Things of this world that satisfy materialism, the things in my life, money and power and success and career and comfort and pleasure and security, even good things. Some of these are fine to to. to to pursue, but the lies would have us make them into our gods, small g. And so meekly receiving the word means believing the promises of God and the truth of God over against these lies that are constantly assailing us being searched by the commands of God, letting God's word expose the lies that would so easily ensnare us and let the word of God stand as true instead. Well, number four, the fourth element of meekly receiving the word is to look intently at the word and its application. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, and in the NIV, The word looks is translated looks intently. 
the Greek word has an intensifying factor to it. The one who looks intently at the word of God. I think looking intently means seeking with the help of the Holy Spirit how God's word applies to me here and now. Pastors, when they get up to preach, are often praying that the Holy Spirit would bring the word of God with power to the people of God. The danger is that it all just is theoretical. We can know a lot, but we can keep God's word at arm's length. And elsewhere, Scripture says that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. It's possible for knowledge just to puff us up with pride. There are lots of categories that we're going to see over the weeks with the book of James. One is the area of the use of our tongue, how we speak. And that means we've got to be wrestling with how I think about how I am speaking wrongly, how I am misusing my words, or we're going to see about caring for orphans and widows and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Lots of bridges of application that the Holy Spirit would speak through the Word of God into our lives. And so, meekly receiving the Word is to look intently at the Word, understanding it all the way to prayerful application. The goal is that as you live your life, as you've been meditating on the Word of God, it will come alive to you. And you would be carrying out your day and your life and think, oh, this is one way that the Word of God speaks to me. I just did that, and I shouldn't have done that, or I said something I shouldn't have said, or I need to believe God's truth over against this worldly lie. That's the kind of looking intently James, I think, has in view. And then the fifth element is to persevere in being not only a hearer, but a doer. To persevere in doing this in continuing to look intently, to persevere. Notice how that comes out in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, the word meditation in the Old Testament means mumbling to yourself. That's the root of that word kind of talking under your breath. Someone might think you're not quite all there because you're meditating on it so much, you're mumbling about it. It reminds me of Psalm 1 where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. That idea of persevering in looking intently at God's word. So here we have, we must listen or hear. We must Let the word judge us. We must believe and stand on it. We must look intently by applying it, and we must persevere. And so we keep on keeping on in this goal of having God's word transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Those are the elements. But my final point has to do with three examples of fruit. Briefly, let us just think about these three examples that are going to be unfolded more in the book of James. And the first and the main one I want to look at is our use of our tongue. This is one of the foremost issues of fruitfulness. And we see it come up in the book of James again and again in chapter 1, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, two places in chapter 5. And he's basically saying, 
hasty speech and anger do not please the Lord. Verses 19 and 20 make this very clear. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What a convicting two verses that is. I would hope that all of us are convicted in some way by that. And the admonition is to display wisdom by listening more to others and talking less. Now, it doesn't say talking is innately wrong, but it says we usually get the balance wrong. I like what Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I remember that verse speaking to me when I was 22 and teaching school at Fort Worth Country Day School and at lunchtime. And I stuttered a lot in those days. I could barely teach school. I taught, taught physics and science. And at lunchtime, I'd eat with the other teachers of the school, none of whom I don't believe were Christians. I don't know for sure. And I would just sit there and eat my bag lunch, peanut butter sandwich, cut up carrot sticks, and an apple. That's what it was every day. But I would never say hardly anything. I was the new guy there on the faculty. And, you know, the conversation would swirl around and... I hope that this verse applied, even if a fool is thought wise, even if he keeps silent. I remember reading this verse in those days. I still remember that. I thought, well, maybe they think I'm pretty wise. (laughs) I don't know if that was true or not. The point is, we often stick our uh, foot in our mouths. Here's another one, Proverbs 10, 19. Very convicting. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Now, that doesn't mean it's super spiritual if you just never speak. No, it's not talking about that. But it's saying when we're just flowing with words, often there's sin mixed in there. We have to guard our tongues. And later, James is going to say, he's going to speak about bridling the tongue. It's like a horse taking a bridle and putting it on a horse so you can turn which way the horse goes. There's lots of Proverbs that speak about the tongue. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. I think that's an interesting one. Note, it's similar to this link in the book of James between hasty speech and unrighteous anger. And James' main point of application here in verse 19 and 20 is uncontrolled anger leads to uncontrolled speech. And the Bible assumes that anger easily becomes sinful and we're called by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God to seek to bring anger under control and under the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible does not view anger as kind of an uncontrollable substance within us that we just have to vent. The world often takes that view that if anger's there, you've got to vent it and that's a healthy emotional thing to do. Usually not. Usually it's wise to control anger, submit it to the Lord, deal with the heart of why it's there. And then verse 20 explains that this tendency to anger is why. Verse 19 says we should be slow to speak because man's anger does not bring about literally the righteousness of God. The ESV translates that, that phrase, literally, the righteousness of God. And notice, this is 
It's very likely James, which may have been the very first of the New Testament epistles to be written. It may, have be, it may be that Paul hasn't written his epistles yet, or even the book of Galatians. It may be James doesn't even know if he has written one of these yet. It's not that James and Paul disagree. We're going to see that throughout the book. Is James is using it in a little bit different way. He's not talking about the righteousness of God as the um, imputed righteousness of Christ that is by faith through grace. No, he's talking about, uh, in light of the Old Testament background, um, doing what God requires, doing what pleases God, the righteousness of God, something that pleases God. It's not the gift of righteousness in Christ that we receive. It's a life pleasing to God. Human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. That's the sense of it. And we're going to be seeing more about what James says about the use of the tongue. But we want to apply this. Why is it that it's so easy for us to feel that we have to say our piece? Whether it's a disagreement with someone or criticism of someone or words that just slip out in anger. The tongue is something that we need to bridle. And the reason is because of our sinful self-centeredness. And we need God's transforming grace through his word. Maybe we should ask ourselves, what's the situation in which I need to keep a tighter rein on my tongue, with my friends, with my spouse, with my children, with uh, the people at work, with my enemies? Who is it where God is particularly applying this this week? Where is anger getting in the way of having a mindset of love toward others? or a ministry mindset? How do I need to repent and turn to Christ? And so the tongue is one foremost example of the fruit that the word of God is to bear. But there are two others at the end of this section. One is, in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So showing mercy showing compassion. That is also an important fruit. In the ancient world, orphans and widows were often desperately in need. There wasn't any kind of safety net of society to take care of them. And so the early church certainly sought to care for the widows and the orphans. And maybe there are similar ways in our day and age that we should think about supporting those in need. We think of the refugee ministry in our own congregation and People having come here from other lands and some of them testifying how very hard it is, working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet, not knowing the language. Maybe that's a ministry you could be involved with. Or we know that Water Street Rescue Mission is an opportunity or Bethany Christian Services or or working in other areas. There are lots of opportunities. Or maybe someone in the sphere of your own life who needs mercy, who needs you to show compassion and a helping hand in some way. James is saying a life that actively seeks to show compassion to others, to show mercy, is a life that is showing the fruit of the mercy of God. That is not a way to be saved. That is a way to show that we've been shown the mercy of Christ. And if you haven't come to receive that implanted word, receive it by trusting Jesus Christ and then seek to show that in a life that exemplifies what Jesus has done with us. One more final example. I won't go into it, but verse 27 at the end, 
the example of moral purity and to keep oneself, James says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't we think, boy, nothing has changed in the world. The staining, polluting power of the world is still there every day to waylay every follower of Jesus Christ. It's there for the 17-year-old. It's there for the 37-year-old. It's there for the 87-year-old. But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, arms us for the battle. The battle against the pollution of the world. The implanted Word of God. And I want to conclude with the gracious promise at the end of verse 25. Being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Notice that blessing. This gracious promise, it's like Psalm 1. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. It's not speaking about material prosperity or blessing fundamentally. It's speaking about spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ in fellowship with God, in knowing God better, in growing in faith and love and obedience, in enjoying communion and fellowship with our Savior, even in hardship, in conformity to Jesus Christ that we know God is bringing about faithfully in our lives, in giving us the power to forgive others when they sin against us, in giving us increasing power to overcome evil with good enabling grace from God to be content in all things and to fight against the lies of this world. These are the spiritual blessings summed up when James says he will be blessed in his doing. May God work powerfully in our lives by his implanted word to the glory of his name and to the full, to the final salvation of our souls. Amen. Father, we long to see Jesus face to face. We can say that there are many things that we enjoy so much about this life. As we go out from worship tonight and just walk in the summer air and think about how wonderful it is to have the freedoms we have and the blessings of material prosperity in so many ways and And just being able to be alive and to have breath in our hearts and bodies. Lord, we thank you that these are all your good gifts. But Lord, please give us a holy dissatisfaction with the blessings of this world only. Lord, help us to long for you. May your word have its work in our lives, even this week, that we would draw near to you. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for promising to complete that work. In Jesus' name, amen.